Well, welcome, guys. Thanks for Thank having us. Thank Thanks you. for being here. Thank you. So, Darren, uh, I want to get started with you since uh, LNG is, is your bailiwick. You know, we have obviously a lot of activity going on mm -hmm. in, uh, in, the, in the Gulf Coast, and we also have obviously uh, new projects that are coming online. Um, we have, uh, just think about the various projects on the Gulf Coast, we have the new ones coming. We have the Rio Grande, we have the Port Arthur LNG coming, and of course we have Driftwood. Do you think the industry in general is situated right now, or how do you think they're situated right now to deal with uh, the work that's coming, the scale yep. and the scope? Can you talk a little bit about how we're preparing for that? Yeah, it's a great question because it gets a lot of discussion in the industry right now, and rightfully so. I, I think the key is to put it in context. Um, there's a lot of work ahead of us, and in particular, Bechtel sees a lot of work in, in LNG coming up over this next few years. But the reason I say put it in context, uh, Brendan just laid out really well, you know, 15 trains delivered in the last five years. So although we see a lot of work ahead of us, we have a massive amount of work behind us that's all been successfully executed, at least in, in Bechtel's LNG business. So I think the industry is well prepared. I think the industry and certainly we are hungry for the next phase of, of projects that are coming forward. Uh, we've been very fortunate. Uh, we have a lot of scale in our business, you know, delivering trains in Australia and the Gulf Coast all over the world during this last phase of LNG. Uh, what we've been able to do is deploy our teams around the world to our other parts of the business as the industry has come down a little bit. And what we're actively doing right now, right now is pulling those teams back into our LNG business from our projects deployed all around the world in different parts of the business to focus on the fantastic opportunities we see in the LNG industry, not just here on the Gulf Coast, but, but around the world actually. So we've talked a little bit about our EPC model. Mm. Alistair obviously kicked us yep. off with that. Can you tell us, and Rupesh, I expect you want to jump in on this, but Darren, can you talk a little bit about how uh, our EPC model is improving productivity at our projects? Yeah, so, um, so I think the, the thing that was mentioned this morning briefly, and, and I'll, I'll mention it again because it's so fundamental to what we do, is this integrated EPC model. So integrating the engineering, the procurement, the construction, all the way through to startup. And you know, if you've been to conferences before, you would have heard Alistair or I talk about this, and it's such an important component of what we do. What we see a lot of in the industry is um, sometimes complex joint ventures or a, a predominantly subcontracted model. What that does, in our view, is creates lots of interfaces, lots of complexity, lots of challenges in bringing all the projects together. Um, so over the last 20, 25 years, as we've built this massive program of projects, we've sought to optimize that entire value chain, to pull all the pieces together so it's Bechtel people, at the, you know, we were just asked this morning, when do we engage? We engage at the very outset of a project. We engage at the concept stage. We develop the engineering, we procure the materials, we work with our vendors, we fabricate our own pipe and our fittings and our spools that's so fundamental. If anyone's seen an LNG project, it's a, it's a lot of pipe, it's fundamental. We, uh, we deliver the construction with our direct hire resources, our own supervision, our own craft, our own foreman who run the, the crews in the field, and we start up the facilities. Uh, we, we put them into operations and we hand them over to our customers in an operational state so they can produce and, and ultimately meet the, the goals or the, the uh, deliverables they have for their customers. So, so to your point, how, wh why, I guess is the question. So that's the what, well the why. The why is to eliminate that complexity. It's to make these massively complex projects simpler, more streamlined, more efficient, eliminate some of the interfaces. And what that helps us do is shorten schedules, 
improve productivity. Uh, ultimately, the customer on these projects is the, the craftsman in the field. That's who we need to make sure is successful, because that's what's going to determine the success of the project. And by doing the work ourselves, self-performing each component, we're able to give them what they need in the most efficient way. And, and that's what actually has been a fundamental component of the success we've had in building these 15 trains in the last five years. Yeah, and Darren, probably also, you think about it from a customer perspective, mm. we're accountable. Right. There's no confusion around accountability. Right. Right. It's and us. It's, it's, and it's a model you see in, in other industries. I remember when I was a reporter covering UPS, uh, what distinguished them from FedEx, for example, is UPS wanted to own every piece of their work. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, they ensured it was a quality control measure. And for them, it meant higher cost but it also meant more efficiency, so they were able to maximize revenue. Right. Um, with Bupesh, you know, talk to us about the Chenier LNG program. You know, this is sort of the, those pro that program is where we've seen our self-perform uh, approach really manifest and with the best results. Okay, no, it's a great question. So if you, uh, if you look at the Chenet program, we have total nine LNG trains, six at Sabine and three at Corpus Christi. Uh, of those nine trains, seven trains are already in production and all, all seven trains deliver ahead, at least four to six months ahead of schedule as well as within the budget. And to date, Chenet has produced 800 plus cargo. So it's a, it's a fantastic results from that perspective. Regarding, I think, to what Darren and Alistair talked about, the self-perform model. So at Corpus Christi, um, we have, it's a greenfield facility, and when we started the first train, we actually leverage across entire Bactel. So our infrastructure group, who has the expertise in building the jetty, they built the jetty for us, they did entire site work. We have LNG tank, we have tank business line, which Alistair talked about it, that they build the LNG tanks as well as the other tanks. So when I look at as a project manager on site, my interface is all around the people who are accountable to me is site manager in the team. I don't have to go worry about 15 different subcontractors trying to do the work, have the interfaces, having the lot of issues and all of that. So it, it, it allows us to control the, I call the outcome of the project or certainty of outcome is significantly increases by having the self-perform EPC integrated model. And what we did is as a, as a project team, including customer, we simplified our vision. We said, we're gonna collaborate, <coughs> innovate, and safely deliver LNG. It's not complex, it just focus on collaboration. So we draw the message on collaboration between us and customer working as a one team. And every problem, it's a complex project, right? It's not simple project. So every pro problem came on the project, we dealt as a team and not like saying this is your problem versus my problem. So it really drove the behavior through entire team and that really, really helped us to deliver ahead of schedule and within the budget. So, so that, that's what I would say is from a self-performed perspective how we executed on Corpus. And also on, uh, on the LNG, on the Chenier projects, you know, your teams, your colleagues have brought innovation. So you all are laying this sort of digital foundation on top of the physical innovations in the field, uh, sort of moving away, for example, from paper blueprints, things like that. Can you talk about the innovations you guys have been able to bring to the project? No, absolutely. So 
uh, Corpus Christi is actually leading within the Bactel. We have been, we have implemented number of, or I would say, experimented many of the innovative ideas in the field. We started back in, uh, I would say, mid 2015, and there are at least, I would say, 15 to 20 uh, ideas that we implemented. Those have been successful, so I'll talk about few of them. So the very first one I think what we drove is in the field, we provide the access to data to all of our craft and foremen and general foremen to make sure they have a very, very easy access to data, the drawings, the specification, all easily available. So we deployed, we call uh, a data vault and the, uh, and the pods out there. So the, they can go in there, look at the drawings and whatever they need to do the work. So that was really, really successful. Also, uh, these are because the projects are project is a complex project. We also uh, got into machine learning, where we looked into the variables and understand <laughs> if some of the variable changes, how it could imp uh, how it can benefit or impact the projects. And those machine learning type simulation we did that continue to give us the opportunity to say what action the project management team need to take. So we can, we can continue to achieve the great results. We also had, I would say, in the areas of from a home office. So what we have is, which Darren talked about it, we start from engineering all the way to commissioning and startup. We drive data from the home office. That's like a seamless flows all the way to turning over to customer, which is a very, very important for customer because that allows them to maintain the plant, operate the plant on all that. So that data flow for technical data, all the data they need to operate the plant, all of that flows through a system and that really helps us because we are not dealing with the paper, we are not sending to email saying this is how we do things. All of that electronically driven from our system. So that, that's another uh, innovation that we, we implemented on Corpus Christi. And I think it's important to maybe, maybe emphasize the why again. There's a lot of um, discussion in the industry about digitalization and innovation. And uh, you know what we challenge ourselves on every step of the way as Bupesh has done on Corpus Christi is why. What is the impact to the outcome of the project? Does it reduce cost? Does it improve productivity? Does it shorten schedule? And if the answer is yes, we will move forward. If it's just a sexy innovation or something that uh, you know, will create some buzz, it's probably not the right thing to deploy to our field. And that's where right. I think we make the differentiation. So yeah, and, and I think another point is, um, you know, in, in, the oil, in our oil and gas business, you know, we have about uh, 30, 5,000 people working for us today. 10% of those people are degreed engineers and things like this. 90% of those people are our craft. And, uh, and our craft are as professional as the 10% that went to university or college or anything else like this. They have great insight how to do the work safer, with better quality, faster, cheaper. Um, so why not leverage the 90% that exists on every single job, not just use the craft from the shoulders down, but use them from, from, from the shoulders up as well to really get their insight into driving innovation, which makes a difference. Innovating for innovating's sake is, is, is pointless. Um, uh, leveraging our craft professionals like you've done, Bupesh, on, on Corpus, I would argue the majority of the ideas that have really, really made an impact have come from our craft professionals because they know 
the best how to do the uh, how to do the work, and um, and that's why we hire them directly so that they can aspire, they can grow, they can they can have purpose within our company. Um, uh, that's why we that's why they're just as important as anyone else in the company. Yeah, so th that's a great point. I want to add one thing. Actually, we innovatively done at Corpus Christi on a safety side. We had a we had a <coughs> program that we roll out that really drove on a behavior. And we looked at, we actually uh, had our craft team members to take on a, like a test and basically tells us the mind, mindset of a person, whether they are exhausted, they are in a red zone and they are gonna be tired and all that versus in a gray zone versus a green zone. And it really gave us the data to take the action based on how we really do some of that work. And that, that application really helped us. And on Corpus Christi, for example, today we have, uh, we have so far worked 21 million hours with no lost time incident. So that was really, really good on a safety side that we, we implemented that. The one other personal example I want to share that we do the, we, we believe in EPC, it's all driven by planning, planning, planning. And one of the things we have done now as part of the, this you know, innovation, we have the, we call 4D and 5D planning. And 4D planning is really dry where I actually have foremen and general foremen using those tools and trying to walk under all the complex area and look at the piping and everything and say, how do we, I, um, how do I install this? How do I change the erection sequence? So it's really, really powerful mm. that it's, it's, uh, it's driving toward the goal about improving productivity uh, getting the schedule better. We as a company has a target to improve the uh, schedule by 30% and, and the productivity improvement by 20%. So that's what we are driving. So all these innovative ideas that we are pushing for. So I'd like right. to stay with technology for a minute. Mm -hmm. Pesh, you, you mentioned our, our, our goal of uh, improving schedule, making schedule improvements by 30%, <coughs> uh, reducing costs by 20%. And this kind of brings us to uh, Alistair, what you'll be talking about later today in your plenary session, uh, implementing new technologies and innovations at an active construction site, which obviously can be difficult. Uh, can you talk to us about how we're making sure we bring the right technologies to the site? We have the Houston Innovation Center, for example, uh, our data supply chain, our digital supply chain, rather. Um, can you talk about, uh, kind of give our, our friends in the media a little bit of a preview about what you'll be, how you'll be talking through that during the plenary session? Yeah, look, look again, I think I, I mentioned earlier on, for, for innovation, it's Darren really, all the time he drives us, why are we doing these things? Why would we invest in these things? Why would we roll these things out? Um, <clears throat> there, has to be, there has to be an outcome that ultimately improves safety, quality, schedule, or cost. Um, I think what we've recognized Corey, is that you know, it's almost where innovation meets, it's, it's where technology meets the physical environment. You know, we're not, you know, these jobs are hard to build. Some of you have come to our jobs and visited our jobs. I was talking, some of you have been on top of the tank at Corpus Christi. Um, if you get an opportunity, come and visit our jobs. Look, we'll lean out, we'll, we'll welcome you, we'll take you, we'll let you come and see the jobs. This work is not easy. This work is really, really hard. This work is physical. So I think what we've learned is that, you know, we've got to bring to bear technology, whether it's 
we can play in our virtual world to build this thing, to figure out how to build it better, safer, before we actually physically go and do it. It's, it's all about trying to bring to bear that innovation and that technology, but in this physical world, because really the opportunity in front of us is to improve um, the productivity of the project. It's very easy to always blame, <coughs> well, it's construction productivity. I don't actually like that term. I think it's project productivity, because every, the, the craftsperson at the end of the day is suffering the, the, the consequences of all of the decisions that have happened in advance of them and as Darren said they are the ultimate customer for us how we enable them to be effective through the deployment of technology is really really important and what I'm going to be talking about this afternoon is how Bechtel has lent forward and we have an innovation center in our in our Houston office again you would be welcome to come and visit this um, and we have a web you know Darren mentioned pipe if if you can figure out pipe you can figure out these jobs Pipe is king, okay? Um, so if pipe is king, shouldn't we go in and also develop a, a, a welding and applied technology center to really lean forward in this space to try and swear out every single part that you can to make that process more efficient? So we have opened here in Houston. Again, we can take you to visit that. We have our own um, Bechtel Welding and Applied Technology Center. Um, so those, those are the two kind of areas where we try and take technology and, and consider how it can impact, the, can impact the physical. But we're also seeing customers lean forward a bit in, in worrying about uh, you, you know, things like um, cybersecurity. You know, um, again, leveraging the best that Bechtel can bring as a whole. Bupesh mentioned before, why not bring our infrastructure business that builds marine facilities all around the world to Corpus Christi to build our marine facility? Can it make sense? We didn't do that 10 years ago. We do that today. We leverage the best of what Bechtel can bring. Our government business is really got, that's based out of Reston, really has expertise in the cybersecurity <coughs> space, actually has an industrial cybersecurity lab that's required for a lot of the work that it does for the government. Right. So why not leverage that capability and, and that competence to try and make sure that we harden the infrastructure that we're building for our oil and gas customers as well. So I think leveraging those internal capabilities to, to make a difference in, in technology, but driving it down the way the rubber meets the road so that we can make our people be more productive is what I'm going to be talking about this afternoon. Thanks, Alistair. Uh, let's talk a little bit about our customer collaboration. Um, it's, it's certainly everything, uh, everything any company would say. We want to collaborate with our customers. I think what's interesting is sort of hearing from you all, and I'll start with you, Bupesh, about how we do it day to day and it, how it ladders up to a broader kind of one team strategy. And Chenier is a, a sort of big example of that. Of course, you know, we helped Chenier pivot its business model from sort of, uh, you know, to the point where we are exporting LNG to the rest of the world, which is no small feat to be sure. But um, talk to us about how that germ of collaboration got really, uh, I won't say perfected because there's no such thing as perfection, but how it got so well aligned with Chenier and how we've been able to use it uh, beyond that. So, no, thank you for that. So, we, uh, if you look at uh, back, uh, back in 2010, 
when Sunil came to Bechtel uh, in, a, in a way like not as a contractor to partner. The, the key, the key um, is the partnership. And they came to us and said they have an idea, business idea, they want to go from uh, importing allergen to exporting. And Bechtel really appreciated the idea and worked very closely with Sunil to develop the project at Sabine that started within 2012. <coughs> And, and what drove us as a, I call that partnership and a one team approach from all the way there, from, from those days to now today, uh, our, our goal is goes back to saying how we can deliver the trains, how we can deliver the safely LNG. Even today, like achieving these 800 cargoes, it's, it's so important for us and the team behavior across both job sites, Sabine and Corpus, is really driven to say, continue to make the product so that make it safely, <coughs> continue to make the product and we help each other. We are not looking at, so if operation needs a spare, something from us as a spare, I'm just talking very detailed, but if they need something to run the unit for a spare part, we go work with them and we drive that. So it's really to that level that we drive this partnership for, for that. They did trust our self-performed integrated execution model and that really helped us to continue to work. Uh, when you walk at the site or in a home office, if you can't differentiate who is Sunil person or Bechtel person. We work that closely as a team. So it's a, it's a really a one team approach. We also work hard and we celebrate. So I want to touch quickly on a craft site. So craft uh, that we have at both job sites, the, they are our assets. We, we make sure they have the right tools. We, we care for their safety. We make sure they are successful because if they are successful, the projects are successful. And we celebrate. We actually had an event for, in a, for a local community two weeks ago. We had 4,000 people, the crowd plus their family. We had at Corpus Christi Aquarium where we celebrated completion of the train two at Corpus Christi. So those, those things are very, very important to have the collaboration, have fully motivated team to make sure that we continue to drive these uh, great results. Thanks, yeah, can I can I say one thing? Sure. Collaboration is such an easy thing to say. It's actually really, really tough to implement. Um, it's easy to collaborate when everything's going all right. Um, Jack Future, who's here as well, um, who's our president and COO, um, I, one thing I learned from Jack is, is collaboration really is all about transparency, and transparency is about moving the unsaid to the said. Moving the unsaid to the said. So that means in every engagement, in every meeting, you should be talking about what the one reality. What are the real issues? Bringing them up as early as you know about them so that you can bring to bear the strengths and of, of all the parties engaged to come up with the best possible outcome. It's really, really tough to collaborate. It's really, really tough to be that transparent because you know what? These are big, big jobs. You make mistakes. Things go wrong. But if you can find a way to have that courage to develop that relationship where you can bring up the issues the second that you find them, then you can bring to bear the strengths of, of all of the parties, you and the client, to make sure that you resolve these issues and move forward as quickly as possible. And I think that's at the heart of collaboration. And all too often we find people, you want to solve your own problem <clears throat> before you let the client know about it. And then, you know, that small problem suddenly becomes a big problem, becomes a bigger problem. Um, Collaboration is tough. It's not easy. Yeah. And you were talking about challenges. One of the challenges in all this is 
being able to have the workforce to do the work. <coughs> and so one of the questions we keep getting from reporters is, you know, what are we doing to meet the demand yeah. from our customers to scale up our workforce? And Darren, I'm gonna throw this to you. You know, yeah. we are doing some, you know, we're responding to, you know, the demand that's that's peaking or at least cresting up in the uh, down in the in the Gulf Coast. Yeah. We have the, the military project with, with veterans. We have different collaborations mm. with trade schools and, and community colleges. Can you talk about how we've had to, frankly, be creative mm. in finding different ways to reach uh, more craft, talented and skilled craft people? Yeah, I, it, it's a great point. I think it's one of the fundamental questions for the industry, uh, particularly here on the Gulf Coast, where we see this potentially um, you know, unprecedented volume of work here, which is going to be so important for the U.S., so important for the global industry. You know, is the skilled workforce, are the craftspeople and the construction professionals here to undertake that work? Um, some people will say no. Um, our answer is very much yes. Um, so you'll hear contractors and, and others maybe say, you know, there isn't a skilled or sufficient skilled uh, craft workforce on the U.S. Gulf Coast. Therefore, the only answer is to modularize outside the U.S., um, do the bulk of the work there and bring it to the US. Our view and experience is very, very different. Um, I think some of what you hear in the industry is a symptom or a consequence of where some projects have struggled, frankly. Um, it's not a function of the craftspeople in the field. It's a function of, of our responsibilities to make sure they are successful. We have been and are the largest employer of craft on the Gulf Coast. In the last seven years, we've had about 50,000 skilled craftspeople working on our projects. Um, to deliver the kind of success, as Bupesh said, ahead of schedule, on budget, with plants that exceed performance. So, so there's no question that the, the capability is here. However, there is a lot of work ahead of us. So the obligation, I think, that you, you referred to is what more can we do? What more can we do to develop the people that are working on our jobs, give them the skill set, give them the opportunity to further progress their own careers uh, and build on some of the things that Alistair talked about. So um, what we do, um, what we've always done, and what we continue to do is, is have apprenticeship programs here on the Gulf Coast. It's not just hire and fire, it's develop the workforce. It's have apprenticeships, take them through the trades, give them the skills they need. We are partnered with multiple colleges here on the Gulf Coast where we put programs in place to bring people from their earlier education, give them the skills they need through a college partnership and deploy them to our sites where they continue that education and can continue to develop. And the one you mentioned as well has been really important for us is, is the military to construction program where a lot of people who are coming out of the military are looking for what next to do with their careers. And some of the individuals and many of the individuals coming through um, that experience bring such rich skills and capability. They may not be knowledgeable in construction, but the leadership, the knowledge, the commitment to, to, to deliver safely and successfully is so ingrained that we can take those individuals, give them the skills they need to be in, in construction. And we've done that with many, many people here on the Gulf Coast. And those people are now moving through the ranks of our construction organization. And many of them now are managing construction teams on our sites here on the Gulf Coast. So if you put all the pieces together, there is no question that the skill and the capability is here. But it's our job as the EPC contractor to ultimately give them what they need to be successful. Thank you, Darren. And thank you, Alistair. Thank you, Pesh. And with that, we uh, bid you farewell. I hope you have a great week. Thank you very Thank much. You. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Thank, Thank you. you.